0: Hi, this is your host, Becky Sanders. Welcome to A Virtual View, where we discuss healthcare, telehealth, and everything in between. Today, we're talking with Eric Wickland, Senior Editor of mHealth Intelligence. Eric, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Oh, certainly. Thanks for having me.
0: So I know we were joking uh, before we got started. Last time we talked, we you had a big thunderstorm uh, on the back end of things going on, and that um, <laughs> made everything a little bit more interesting.
1: Yes, yep. That's that's always the the, the fun of of, of uh, some of these live events.
0: So um, tell me, before we really dig into things today, tell me how did you end up where you are now with M Health Intelligence?
1: Um well I'm a lifelong journalist actually started in in a, a, a... Daily newspapers. I spent about twenty years there, uh, and then moved gradually on, gradually to other venues. And I, uh, a colleague of mine uh, at my first newspaper, had launched uh, MedTech Media, MedTech Publications, which was which was responsible for healthcare IT news and healthcare finance news, and uh, wanted me to come along. Um, I joined, and it's it's been a great journey ever since. I helped to launch their M Health site, Telehealth, and M Health. We were acquired by Hims Media, I kept that going. And then eventually I moved from Hims Media to Extelligent Healthcare Media, which is based in Massachusetts. They were uh, a smaller uh, looking to get their their telehealth, health site up and running. And, and I, I, I just like the idea of a small bootstrap type organization and just looking up and, and, and taking on what is obviously a very uh, fascinating and, and, and now very popular topic. And that's where we stand now. I, we are Extelligent Healthcare Media. We were just recently acquired by TechTarget, but we are still Extelligent Healthcare Media. And um, I am the the M Health Intelligence Editor, which which covers everything from M Health to telehealth to telemedicine, connected health. Uh, so many different phrases and terms. Uh, there's probably far too many.
0: But, uh, <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot to choose from, especially these days. Mm, so. Yes. I can't imagine what your inbox looks like. Um, All of the the journals and articles that you must read um, before you start writing your own. Can you talk a little bit about that process?
1: Oh, yes. Google is my friend. Every morning, I've got Google search. I've got dozens of Google searches all set up so that I can just pretty much figure out what's going on. I'm keyed into certain publications and sites, uh, check them often, government agencies from the FCC and their connected health and, and some of their projects to obviously HHS and Medicare for coverage issues for telehealth and RPM and all that. You know, some of the top news sites in the country, I look at that. And yet yeah, it's, there's, there's just a lot that goes into it. Um, a lot of texts and tweets and and emails from, from friends and, and sources and, and, and colleagues. Uh, it's, as I said, there's never a lack of, of news. There's never a quiet day in this type of industry. There's just always something going on So yeah, it's 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 constant. It's it's fun. It is um, I, I do appreciate the vacations every now and then because it's just but uh, it's as I said never dull
0: Yeah uh, What is that old saying may you live in interesting times <laughs> the mm-hmm. past? what 18 months or so have certainly been interesting
1: Yes, these have been very interesting times, uh, good and bad. I mean, obviously, the uh, what we're dealing with with the pandemic is 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 horrible. But and that I put that in quotations, what it's done for telehealth, uh, remote patient monitoring, connected health, digital health, uh, what it's done for those. Uh, those lines, those products, those services is, has been uh, nothing short of fascinating. I think it's, you know, we've, we often talk about a tipping point for health, mm-hmm. for telehealth. Um, I hate that term. I, I've hated it for years. Um, I never think we should be plotting or planning and saying this is going to be our tipping point or this is. But that said, I think what we've seen over the past two years, we, we've kind of uh, we've we've reached that level. I think in that we are seeing so much adoption of of all these new technologies and tools, all different kinds of of, of things we can do, so that the provider and the patient don't have to be in the same place anymore. Um, or they don't even have to be in the same place and talking to each other virtually anymore. There are so many different ways of healthcare, of providing health care and health and wellness and, and expanding the the idea of healthcare. care. It really is a, a monumental time for these types of services.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do definitely think that with all that the world has gone through with the COVID pandemic, that telehealth really is one of the silver linings um, of everything. It can so, be yeah it, I, I really think it is let's let's dig a little bit deeper into remote mm. patient monitoring. Um, mm. So how has the pandemic given a boost to the remote patient monitoring market?
1: Yeah, that was one of my favorite topics uh, remote patient monitoring. I've kind of been following it for a few years now. Really the idea behind that, and to give it a most basic definition is remotely monitoring a patient in another location, usually the home. Uh, the, the The original idea was that you have your your physicians, your doctors, your care providers in the hospital, the the clinic, the practice, or whatever in the past you're always relying on them to come in for checkups and and appointments and so on and so forth Uh, under this new idea or this this gradually evolving idea instead of waiting for them to come in you create a collaboration with them where you can you can get information from them at home to to not only get a more complete picture of health, but to see what a patient is doing on a daily basis and how those activities might be affecting health and wellness. Now, remote patient monitoring in its basic form is using devices to capture data and send data to the provider. It's, you know, you often think of the Fitbits and the, the monitors, uh, the clinical monitors and, and stuff like that, the, the health hubs that you put in home. That's what it originally was, too. You have this big machine in your in, in your living room, your kitchen, capturing all that data and sending it back to the to the doctor. Um, what happened is that, well, obviously, with, with COVID-19, uh, hospitals, uh, health care providers, health systems were looking to take as much care out of the hospital, out of the beleaguered hospital, and get it to the home so that, first of all, patients wouldn't have to go to the hospital, and second, so the patients could stay at home and be cared for there. Obviously, for, for COVID-19, that was a, a good use case. Um, monitor. You have specific... Uh, data points you have to capture from, from someone who is diagnosed with COVID. You capture that data, you send it to the doctor, the doctor determines the, the care plan, the care management plan from, from the safety of his office or hospital, uh, while the patient is in the safety of his or her home. Throughout COVID, uh, these, these types of RPM programs were very successful, not only in helping patients recover quicker at home, Uh, And there have been studies that have proven that patients who are in a home setting uh, can recover quicker than if they were sitting in a hospital bed. Not only that, but there... There's a there's a more complete program to this. Uh, patients are getting better. Hospitals are less crowded, and, and obviously this was a big problem during during the, the the height of the pandemic. Hospitals were swamped. People coming to the hospital were running the risk of being infected. Uh, so more the more you could do by keeping patients at home and keeping the providers in the hospital setting. It helped um, and now that we're getting beyond uh, well hopefully we're getting beyond the pandemic eventually we are going to be seeing these programs uh, still we're calling them remote patient monitoring programs but that definition is changing as well we're going to be seeing them turn around and used for patients with chronic conditions chronic care management is a, is a huge opportunity for remote patient monitoring um, people with cardiac issues uh, chronic pulmonary uh, disease, diabetes, uh, all mental health issues, behavioral health issues, obesity. Is, there's a treatment plan that the RPM is perfect for. There's, there's so many different conditions, and so on and so forth, that can be used, that can be treated through a, a, an RPM platform. Besides chronic care, you're gonna see more patients who have been hospitalized for something going home And a platform is extended to the home to monitor their recovery further, either you're you're getting them out of the hospital sooner so that they can recover at home, or you're you're just making sure that when they get home, they're following doctor's orders, they're taking their medications, and they're, they are improving, they're getting better. And then you're going to see platforms for health and wellness, uh, not only for episodic conditions, but to help people who need help, I guess that's the basic, the the easiest way to put it, who need a little bit of help in their home life to make better health and wellness choices to improve their lifestyles, be it exercise, nutrition, whatever. Um, You're gonna see these, and we're going from remote patient monitoring programs to just remote monitoring programs, basically. Um, You're gonna see more opportunities for care providers to communicate, to collaborate with patients in their home for a wide variety of services.
0: So with all of this attention being drawn to remote patient monitoring and all of the different new technologies that are out there, how does the regulatory and the the reimbursement world catch up to all of these new technologies?
1: Yeah, that's that's been one of the things that's been holding back uh, RPM or RM or whatever we're going to call it in the future. And there are a lot of different definitions. There are new ones coming up, too. Um, The largest payer, the largest population uh, that could benefit from this obviously is the the Medicare Medicaid population. CMS controls the purse strings. Uh, They are traditionally very conservative in how they cover telehealth. They want to see a a lot of proof. Uh, They want to see a lot of studies and successful pilot projects before they will turn around and start covering these services you know, you've got telehealth advocates that think they're going too slow, but there's a lot of concern that telehealth can be used incorrectly and can contribute to the problem we face now is that there's excessive waste, uh, excessive costs, and the, the outcomes just aren't there. Um, so, so CMS is moving slowly. That said, I believe in 2019, they defined certain services that could be done at home, remote physiological monitoring. they they set aside like five CPT codes for limited services that could be limited data collection and interactions certainly not enough for for what telehealth advocates want but it was a step in the right direction it was the first time that CMS recognized uh, this and just as importantly they recognized it as remote monitoring which they separated from telehealth which telehealth has been traditionally very restrictive in how they're how they cover it how they reimburse for it so they they kind of see the, saw this as a new platform, a new type of service. Flash forward to this year, we have some new CPT codes, a little bit different. Um, therapy management, therapy management, I think they're called, RTM. Uh, as opposed to RPM, which is physical physiological monitoring, and then of course we have RPM, which is remote patient monitoring. That's why I say the the, the terms are gonna uh, going all over the place, and I think we're just gonna see remote monitoring eventually. They've got these these new services. They got a few more that that add to the to what providers can do with with these platforms in the home. So we're starting to see. Uh, CMS, Medicare, Medicaid pay for some of these services. Private payers, at the same token, have seen the value of these programs used during the pandemic, and they are starting to cover these types of programs. In some cases, they're a little bit—they're a little bit more forward-thinking than CMS in terms of what providers can do moving forward. Obviously, we're waiting for uh, some of these things to be codified. We're waiting for Congress to to establish some sort of a post. Covid-19 telehealth policy. I mean, they're they're swamped right now. They've got dozens, if not hundreds, of bills in front of them that, that focus on telehealth coverage. Obviously, their their agenda is full. They they got a lot to do. So, the, telehealth hasn't been on the forefront of, of what they wanted to do. So we're still waiting for some sort of direction from them. At the same rate, we've got providers out there that are starting. To, to experiment with the platform, and they are using this platform not only to care for people who need you know, a little bit of help at home or a little bit of monitoring. They're starting to use this platform to care for people who would otherwise be in the ICU or in a skilled nursing facility. Medicare came up with a, a new payment model, Acute Hospital at Home. The idea that the home could be used as a site for care for acute treatment. There's a number of hospitals around the country that are that are Uh, that are working within this model and using a platform that combines remote monitoring, which are the devices, with telehealth, which is the communications platform between doctor and patient, and they are also adding in in in-person home health services to basically replicate the ICU room in 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 a home early on Brigham and Women's in Boston one of the one of the front runners on this is, is shown that, that this type of service can improve clinical outcomes and reduce costs there are other hospitals that are doing a little bit different with it uh, as i said they're replacing patients or they're taking patients who would otherwise be in a skilled nursing facility or long term care facility they're doing it at home with a combination of m health telehealth in in person care so it's you know we're we're moving into the area where they're looking at it they're they're doing different things with it CMS is starting to come around, starting to catch up. Private payers are doing it. Congress, you know, we'll we'll wait on them, but hopefully they won't be left behind by some of the innovation we're seeing. Um, It's going to be exciting.
0: It is. It is. It's very exciting. Um, Here in our states, um, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio, we have seen the state Medicaid programs codify post-COVID rules. And for the most part, they've kept the majority of the waivers. A big thing being the originating site can be at home, and some adoption of audio only in certain situations. So it, whenever I think about telehealth reimbursement over, I don't know the past. Was it 1996? I guess when CMS Medicaid, I'm sorry, Medicare first started uh, reimbursing for telehealth. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, It really, for many years, it really was Medicare that was kind of leading the forefront of all of this reimbursement. But things have really flip-flopped in the last few years with commercial insurance providers providing their own doctors and their own nurse practitioners and physician assistants and reimbursing for telehealth. Now, it really does feel like Medicare is, is going to be the last one to arrive to this new game.
1: Yeah, I think you're seeing that those closer to the the front lines and those are the state Medicaid programs are seeing uh, the benefits of these platforms before CMS does. Um, CMS, as I said, they're still waiting for pilots and and studies and so on. The, the ones down in the trenches are the ones, the doctors, the solo doctors out in. Uh, uh, there's a solo doctor out in Idaho who's using an M Health app to communicate with his patients now. Um, there's a, a medical practice in New Jersey who's launched an RPM program to help uh, all his patients with chronic care management needs. They are they are proving the value. Um, they're not necessarily trumpeting their their successes yet but that the the states are seeing this and that's why yes these emergency measures that that took place during COVID, the ability to to reimburse a doctor for talking on the phone with a patient yeah there's got to be very specific ways of, of reimbursement and and limited uses of the telephone but yes that's a that's a modality that that is is desperately needed in uh, upstate new york or you know out west where you can't have or where you don't have other access to telehealth to audiovisual telehealth and so on so forth these site restrictions uh, the limits to rural telehealth uh, wiping them away allowing more care providers uh therapists uh, specialists uh Mental health, uh, behavioral health, uh, all of these different types of care providers, allowing them now to use and be reimbursed for telehealth. This is all where the states are seeing value right now, and they're yes, they're continuing, they're making permanent um, uh, these measures. They're they're allowing more providers to use these technologies, and they're allowing them to use them in more indifferent, in unique ways. The growth is there. The growth is there on the on the ground, and you know, eventually uh, we'll we'll see how it gets. Uh, you know, how it is covered uh, by DC and and, CMS and so on and so forth. But you're you're right, it's it's flipped around so that we're seeing the growth first on the ground.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the the interesting thing is if you start looking at the percentage of growth or percentage of claim lines during the pandemic of telehealth, I, I personally, I like the fairhealth.org website and like to do those comparisons so you can see previous to the pandemic and then during the pandemic how those um, percentages increased exponentially, some as much as you know 4,500% over the previous year. Yes. And I know it's coming down um, as we're starting to settle into kind of a new normal um, and, and maybe the, the COVID variant as it comes up from the heat, heat maps I've seen from the Delta variant for COVID have kind of been coming up from the south and coming up towards the north. So do you see a lot of uh, Delta variant cases in the northeast?
1: Uh, we're just starting to get them up here. Yeah. Um, New England has been pretty good at containing, and we have high vaccine rates. We have uh, leadership that is kind of really pushing the the masks and so on and so forth. <laughs> so we've seen less of of, a, of an outbreak, but yes, it's still it's still here. It's still very much evident. Um, yeah. And yes, as we move on, and yet this is a new normal. Yes, we are going to see a return to some in-person care because there's a significant amount of the population that still wants to see their doctor and be able to see the doctor and that that will never go away uh, what we're gonna see in another popular term hybrid health care that's what we're gonna see going in the future uh, we're gonna see providers clinics hospitals health systems figure out I don't know trial and error I don't know how they're gonna do it right now but what they can do virtually they're gonna do virtually what they need to do in person, they're gonna do in person. They're gonna create these platforms that can uh, seamlessly switch from one to the other as needed that will help reduce the need to run into the hospital or doctor's office for every little thing, give providers more of an opportunity to collaborate around their, you know more frequently with patients at home and just, you know, use what needs to be used when it needs to be used. I think that'll be the standard of care, and that's what we're going to be seeing long after this this pandemic has moved on, and in preparation for whatever pandemic comes next.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree, I, you know, I think, what, and you were talking about some of those solo practitioners um, really using some of these alternative apps and platforms that are out there. It's wonderful to see that innovation, but then it sometimes the statistics of it, the, the end number of patients is so small that CMS doesn't really pay attention to those innovations.
1: Yeah, and there has been some recent studies that kind of hint to the idea that smaller practices, independent practices, independent doctors, smaller practices, they have used telehealth to such a degree during COVID-19 that 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 old myth that the independent practice is dying, that the, the big hospitals and health systems are swallowing up all the small doctors, that is starting to turn. It's been suggested that a, a lot of independent doctors, small practices have been able to use telehealth to the to degree that they are now creating their own business lines. They're now seeing a future for themselves that they didn't see or they didn't necessarily understand prior to the pandemic. Telehealth, RPM, digital health, digital therapeutics, whatever we want, I'm trying to fit in as many phrases and terms as I can, I'm checking them off here as I go along. They have these tools at their disposal now so that they can continue as a small practice or an independent Mm -hmm. doctor. And you're going to see, you know, there's a percentage of care providers that don't want to join the big health systems or the hospitals. As we move on with telehealth and all this, there are more opportunities for collaboration, for partnerships where you don't necessarily have to be swallowed up by the local hospital or health system. You can still have a practice or an office and be independent and provide care and create a niche and use these tools and technology to be sustainable and even be scalable. Again, one of the, one of the, one of the stories coming out of the COVID uh, uh, crisis is, is possibly the the rebirth of the, the small doctor or the small practice, the redesign or the, 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 I can't think of the word right now, I'll think about it in maybe another hour or so when I'm doing <laughs>
0: something else. Well, maybe the the yeah rebirth or reinvention yes. uh, more kind of like a like like a house call i almost wonder if it might even turn into some type of concierge medicine where individuals that will just say oh forget my health care insurance let me just do this concierge medicine thing
1: That phrase has been used, yes, and there are companies out there that are talking about the virtual house call. There's a couple of them out there. Um, And then, of course, you've got the next wave. You've got Amazon coming in. You've got Walmart. You've got Walgreens. You've got CVS. You've got all these different companies and platforms that are able to offer on-demand care, direct-to-consumer uh, care through telehealth, through health apps, mm-hmm. that are going to challenge the industry. They're going to challenge the hospital and the health system to improve their care platform. They're going to present a challenge to these independent and small practices that want to keep their patient base. And they're going to be very attractive to businesses that want to cut down the healthcare costs by providing their own uh healthcare services in a partnership with or or through a health plan that offers these services Mm -hmm. so um it's it's a very fluid market and again it's it's going to be the one that that figures out telehealth and digital health and connected health and and this and that and the other thing that figures out how to use that to to the best advantage and and improves on patient engagement and shows marked clinical outcomes it's going to be able to find that niche and to hold that uh, hold their position in the market
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you talk about the some of the big, like Walmarts and other companies, it makes me think of everything that's been happening with the COVID vaccines and the COVID testing at the, the larger pharmacies, you know, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, depending on what part of the country you're in. And I almost wonder if we'll see something more like, do you remember Health Spot? It was like five, yes. seven years ago that was a kiosk.
1: I, yes, I saw one of the first ones uh, when they showed up at CES in Las Vegas. Vegas. Uh Um, Oh, it looked beautiful. Um, It looked like something out of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it was a fanciful and a, a nice idea of where telehealth could go. It really wasn't practical at that time because it was big and complex and expensive. And you couldn't just take this and drop it into the local, uh, you know, they tried. They tried to uh, put it in local pharmacies and, and so on and so forth. They had a great idea of where these things could go. But it's it just the, the business model just wasn't there yet. And that, that was the whole idea of kiosks, telehealth kiosks at that time they've undergone a significant change that that market and kiosks are are coming back now they're much smaller heck they can be a laptop you can put a laptop one of the more popular use cases right now is 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 libraries Mm -hmm. beauty salons hairdressers uh, put a laptop in the corner uh, with earphones and some health apps and a connection and there's your telehealth kiosk right there I'm stick a few of them in in a school in the nurse's office in a corner the idea of, of providing care has changed so that you don't need a big booth uh, uh, doctor who's not going to uh, you know the, that type of thing is not going to just plant itself in the middle of a of a mall and people are going to come in and go out you're going to have these these much smaller areas where you can go and have a conversation with a care provider on demand or you can do it with your smartphone you can you know you can call up your doctor on a smartphone or call up a service on a smartphone for a uh, for a for a healthcare consultation or a, a visit a virtual visit an actual virtual mm-hmm. visit um, the, the the these models are changing all the time um, and and what looked good then is going to look uh, dramatically different now and is going to look dramatically different in the future as the technology evolves and as the, the regulations around this technology evolve
0: yeah it's it's a fascinating area and i don't think that the change in innovation is done by any stretch of the imagination
1: oh no there's there's some I, yeah. you we mentioned at the beginning the the emails and the, and the stuff i look for in research mm-hmm. the emails i get from um some of the some of the universities that that have very active okay. innovation departments um not only here uh, but in uh, all around the world some of the things they're doing right now with wearables with contact lenses with patches and tattoos and 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 all these different types of, uh, of devices and and sensors um, uh, that's going to change healthcare in the future as well as, as it gets perfected, as, as more and more of this innovation makes its way into the healthcare setting. Um, I'd mentioned CES. That's always a fun place to go to see where, it's, where some of the biggest innovation is. But in, in the healthcare, you've got to look at the uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham is an example of, of a very active uh, network. Uh, there's a couple down in Texas, partners in, in Boston, and then there's some overseas in, in Europe and China, uh, Australia. That they're doing some wonderful stuff. They're doing some fascinating stuff with the technology, and it's it, yeah. What you know, what I can talk about now will be completely different to what I see in another, gosh, in another year, if not just a few months.
0: Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. This is this has been enjoyable.
0: I want to thank our listeners for listening to A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. And if you'd like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info@umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast and to our awesome editor, Caroline Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Services Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the program director of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of, or should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.